morning as I uh, as I bring the word, as I as I unpack uh, what you have for us in the scriptures. I, I pray that you would be with uh, with me and help me to um, let me share the gospel. Help me to be clear. Help us to be convicted by by your word. Um, help us to know you more through this time. Uh, in Christ's name, Amen. I. Uh, so every Saturday night, uh, or in theory every Saturday night, I try to remember, and sometimes I remember Sunday morning, um, during the summer when it's like 900 degrees, I'll come over here in the evening, and I'll open all of the windows, and I'll turn the air conditioner on and close the sanctuary doors so that the room isn't 80 when you walk in. Um, and, and I did that last night, and, and after I was done with that, I went home, and I ate dinner, and I uh, watched TV with my wife, and at about 8.15, does anybody else, there's a handful of us that live in town on this side of town, right? Um, at about 8, 8.05, I got up, and I went into the kitchen, and I started setting up the coffee pot for the next morning, and I noticed a smell. Did anybody else? No, just me. Um it was, it was a, a very distinct smell and a very noticeable smell. It was a skunk. And the very first thing I did when I smelled that skunk smell was I looked and thought, where are my dogs at? Um, and then I, I went into the living room and I stepped out on the front porch to, to see if, if that's what I was smelling or if it was coming from inside the house, which is much worse. We've had rabbits trapped in the basement before and I had this moment of horror thinking about maybe a skunk getting stuck in our crawl space or something horrible like that. I'd have to call the maintenance head to come over and get rid of them. Um, <laughs> or an intern. Probably the intern, really. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, here are your goggles and your stick. Go get them out of there. Um, <laughs> so we, uh, I, I stepped out on the front porch and... And I got the full force of uh, of the skunk odor, and and I posted about it on Facebook, and and uh, 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 Sean Jansen commented that he was over on the other end of, by the cemetery, and he smelled it the whole way home, and and I realized like, oh wow, somewhere uh, somebody had a very bad evening, and I didn't think about it again. I went to bed. I got up. Actually, my alarm went off at. And usually by about 4.30, 5 o'clock, I'm walking the dog. And I woke up and I thought, I'm not going to walk the dog until the sun's out. Because if there's a skunk in my yard, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with that. Um, and so I, I got out and I couldn't smell it anymore. And I maybe on 4th Avenue I smelled it some. But I, I get a call from Jeremy in the morning and he says, Eric, I just walked in and the building smells like skunks. And... And sure enough, I got here, and it was this room and the basement. And it was because I had opened the windows, <laughs> closed these doors, and the smell had gotten trapped in the basement and in here. Um, and so I went home pretty quick, and I picked up Febreze, right? And I picked this Febreze from the store months ago because, um, because I, I liked how the can looked. Honestly, it's got a blood orange on it. I thought of grapefruit. I thought, man, that looks good. And I, I came in with my, my lovely bottle of Febreze, and I walked up and down the aisles, 
and I sprayed blood orange spritz. Uh, <laughs> and uh, did anybody smell skunks at this point? Something about the magic of Febreze wiped out that smell for us. Um, we've been working on uh, sort of the, the nature and the purpose of the church. Um, and, and like last week, and then we're going to finish it up this week, we started on how Paul talks about the church in the book of Ephesians. Because the book of Ephesians is to a church in Ephesus, and um, it's dealing with different issues within the church itself and how the church is called to act in a culture. And, and specifically, we're talking about the purpose of the church in this series, and, or in this particular like pair of sermons. And, and the purpose, um, there are six things that, that Paul, uh, that I kind of uh, drew out of. Um, actually, I'm drawing some of this message from a book. Um, and the author I was reading came up with six from Ephesians. Um, and, and he argues that, like, the church's purpose is to complete Christ in the world, which isn't to say that Christ's work was incomplete, like he failed to get his work done. He, he wasn't me in high school. Um, he got everything done, but the plan involved a completion that came out of, like, so Christ did his work, he ascended, and then the rest of the job gets done by the church because that was how it was designed and designated. And the six things that, that this author draws out, um, we complete Christ's person, right? Because Christ is the head and the body is the church, right? And so we go out, we're like his fifth column. Um, are you all familiar with that phrase? Like, like the fifth column refers to, uh, there was a general in the, the Spain, Spanish Civil War, who said that his army had five columns. He had four columns of soldiers, and he had a fifth column, which was all of his supporters who had infiltrated the, the cities. And his, his supporters were everywhere, and they looked like everyone else. And, like, we're, we're his person. We are Christ's fifth column. We infiltrate the culture and the world, and we impact it. And we are, like, his agents of change in the world around us. Uh, you know, kind of an exciting idea. Um, but we're to complete his, his person. We're to complete his presence. We are Jesus to the people we encounter, Right? Um, if, you know, if you want this in more detail, we talked about it last week, the sermons on Facebook. Um, but I, I just wanted to review so you know, I'm not just coming at this haphazardly, haphazardly, um, we're completing Christ's plan, which is the plan of salvation, right? Like the plan of salvation that began before the beginning of the world, like, like, um, where, uh, um, God had this plan to redeem from the fall and show up the fallen angels and like, like we are, we're the completion of that plan. We're the completion of God's like glorifying himself in the face of this rebellion. And there's, again, a lot more detail last week. Um, and then finally of his program, which is um, his, his, um, his movement within the world that like causes all of creation to respond. Does that make sense? Um, I'm thinking I'm remembering these right. It's been a whole week since I studied this part. Um, the last two, so some of these are very esoteric, right? Like they're out there. Um, these last two, because I didn't want to go super long last week, these last two, um, I think, relate more to our day-to-day workings, our day-to-day life. And, and they're going to be in um, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. And actually, the, the title of this sermon is, is Wedding Pictures, because 
Um, in Ephesians 5, Paul talks directly about the church, and he relates it to marriage, right? And we're going to look at this text. And before I do this, and actually look at that, I had all four of those. Anyway, um, before I do this, I want to I say something kind of important about this. Um, I've preached on this text a few times, and I, I realized this week that my habit and my tendency, even in writing this sermon, is to look at this Ephesians 5 as being solely about marriage. What does this tell me about my job as a husband? What does it tell me about, you know, my wife's role as a wife? What does this tell us about what our relationship looks like? But Paul actually very explicitly says in this text, I'm speaking of the mystery of Christ in the church, like becoming one, like the husband and wife are one flesh. Like this is specifically about the church. But, and then he, like at the end, like, but, you know, understand this is about Christ in the church, but like husbands and wives, here's how you're supposed to act. Um, and so this is actually a text about, um, about the church, but it's always, always, always brought about and put to bear on marriage. And that's for a reason. It's in a household code, um, which at the time, the household code was uh, a very common thing. Like Oliver Greece, you would memorize your household codes. Um, every child, adult, everyone knew what the household codes for your community was and like what the expectations, like if you're in this job, this is your role. This is what you have to do. If you're the husband, this is what you have to do. If you're the wife, if you're the kid, if you're a slave, if you're a servant, if you're a, you know, a neighbor, whatever, like here are your jobs. And everybody knew what these were. And so Paul does this and he adapts the household code kind of model to the Christian faith. And like, um, so this is a household code. He's telling people how to act, but he's taking an opportunity in talking about how we're supposed to act to talk about Christ in the church, right? Because, and follow me here, because our lives are about Jesus. Like, our lives are about Christ. It's easy to think, oh, well, you know, I, I actually read an essay this morning by a young lady who um, is 25 and single and a believer, and she said, you know, I spent my whole life having people tell me I need to get married in order to be complete. I need to have kids in order to, and I, I get this impression that this is what my whole life is about as a believer. And in reality, like, probably not going to get married, like, or at this point I haven't gotten married. And like, does that mean I'm incomplete? Does that mean I'm less of a believer? Does that mean that like God, you know, I haven't reached the fullness of what God has for me? No, because it's not about this world, Right. Um, Paul, you can see this when he talks about marriage over and over and over again. He says, young women, like, it's actually better to devote your lives to Christ and stay single. But if you need to get married, get married, right? You know, it's always, always, always focused on living for Christ. Everything about it is about living for Christ. Um, And so as we dive into this, like, understand this is about living for Christ, about, like, the relationship of Christ to the church. Um, And we're going to talk about marriage a little bit, but more so we're going to try and focus on this, like, Christ in the church aspect. Because the illustration teaches us something about what our expectations are as the church, right? Um, Y'all are probably familiar with the parable Jesus tells about the the unforgiving servant. He goes to the king, and he owes the king, like, $5 million. And he... You know, he knows he's never going to be able to pay him back, and he throws himself on the floor and says, please, please, please don't kill me or put me in prison. Please don't sell my children. Please don't do this. Please let me go on my debt, you know, like, or give me more time. 
And the king looks at him and has pity and says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and forgive your debt. You are debt free. Go on. And he so overjoyed, he sings and dances on his way out. And he runs into a guy who owes him five bucks. And he punches the guy in the face and says, give me my money. And like has him thrown in prison over his five dollar debt. And the king hears about it and is so angry that he has the servant thrown in jail. We don't read that text and argue about the right way to handle people who owe us money. Right? Like, I've never, ever watched a sermon where, where a pastor was like, all right, so, so-and-so owes me $8, and I'm going to let it go. Because, you know, the, the model that we see here, like, it's not about that. It's about how God forgives us and we should forgive each other. Like God forgives us this ocean of sin we've committed and even the worst of sinners against us. Like their sin is nothing compared to what we've done to God. And so like it's not about that. It is an allegory or an illustration. Um, Part of what Paul is doing here is an allegory or an illustration, but it's a little more double-edged, right? So actually, Ephesians 5. This is usually split into two little sections with a little subheading, but I think it's important to draw out the very last verse here. He's talking about the relationship within the community of believers, and he says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so we as a church, right, we as a church are to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. We are to... um, put ourselves in a position that is lower than the guy next to us because Christ died for that guy. Um, and in fact, actually, I think Christ demonstrates this best when he gets up like, like the son of God who angels worship, and he walks around the room at the Last Supper washing people's feet. Like it was a humiliating, lowest in the household kind of job. And he says, listen, I'm going to show you how you're supposed to be. I'm going to show you the model of what we're supposed to be like. And then he gets done. He says, just like I have washed your feet, you wash each other's feet. You put yourself lower. Elsewhere, he said, you know, authority in the church isn't like the Gentiles. Don't be like the Gentiles. They want power. They want to subject each other. They want to crush each other under each other's heels, under their heels. Sorry. Um, Not us. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven will be the least. One person new. Thank you. (laughs) The greatest in God's kingdom will be the least. And so as we read this, like submitting to each other out of reverence for Christ is all about um, being the least, being Christ-like. And that's what the church is called to be like, right? Does it usually look that way? By the way, I'm not just talking about our church. I'm talking about all the churches. I'm talking about the universal, like, like Catholic church. Not the Catholic church down the street, but the Catholic church, meaning the whole church. Right? We don't really do that. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've sit and listened to, to pastors compare church attendance as though it was a measure of how, you know, they were serving God. Right? Like, oh, well, that guy's got twice as many people as me. Or, oh, well, I got twice as many people as that guy. I'm going to tell you the rule for pastors is we hate the comparison when it's a larger church compared to us, but we kind of like it when it's a smaller one, right? Because deep down we're all sinful and lost, and like the reality is that submitting to another and being lower, it's not that exciting because it scalds our flesh. Um, And so Paul begins, or finishes up this previous section, submit to one another. And then he goes on, he says, wives... Submit to your husband as unto the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Now, this is probably in the top five most abused texts in the scripture, right? Because what's it about? Well, it is about wives and their relationship to their husbands, right? But he immediately pivots from there to talk about Christ in the church. And actually, when we get to the end, again, he's going to say, this is the mystery that I'm talking about, the mystery of Christ in the church. But hey, you know, pay attention, wives and husbands, you're supposed to behave this way. Now, this is not any more or less so than is stated about um, all believers. And so like this submit thing, like, like there are a lot of times we read it and it is, there's a long history of men, you know, saying, well, this means that my wife needs to have a sandwich ready for me and my slippers and, you know, she can't have any hobbies except making me happy. And if I say jump, she says how high, um, et cetera, et cetera. Like, it's not about that. It is about like the relationship of Christ to the church. How is the church supposed to apply to Christ? How are we supposed to be in relation to Christ? Well, if you were going to picture the ideal marriage, right, the ideal marriage, um, in the ideal marriage, my wife and I wouldn't struggle with each other for who's in charge. We wouldn't beat each other up, right? We wouldn't. In, in the ideal household, we wouldn't backbite or snipe at each other or try to stab each other in the back or cut each other down or try to figure out who's going to win this particular conversation or not. I mean, anybody ever done that in your relationships? No. I'll own it. I've done it. Like I've <laughs> or like, you know, oh, you screwed up. I'm going to tuck that away for later. And when I screw up, I'm going to pull this card and play it because now, now I have an ace in the hole, right? Like, oh, you messed up. You know, or, oh, I got this text. Nope. How does the church respond to Christ? Jesus died for me. I love Jesus. I would, I, I would do anything for Christ. I, I, I sing praise to Christ. I, I talk about him. I live my life for him. I, I, you know, getting up and going to bed, ideally, I live for Jesus. Church, what's our job? Our job is to live for Christ. Our job is not to live for political power. Our job is not to live for influence. Our job is not to live for entertainment or comfort or any other nonsense. Our job is to live for Christ. I would argue that ideally in a marriage, you live for each other, right? It's not about me. It's about you. The church is not about us. It's about Jesus. That's why we worship. That's why we take care of each other. I read, um, actually just finished this great book. Uh, it was by a Navy SEAL. Uh, and he talked about all the things he learned in his SEAL training that he was able to apply to his life later. And one of the things he talks about is he's in this mud one day they're in training like it's the last week of underwater demolition training which is like the worst thing in the world and all of the last of the guys who are in training are up to their necks in mud and it's raining and it's cold and it's dark 
and they're all exhausted. They've barely slept in days. They've barely eaten in days. And the whole goal of the training is to get somebody to quit. And one of the drill sergeants walks up and says, if you quit right now, I will give you a hot cup of coffee next to the campfire. And I'll give you a blanket and you will be comfortable. And it'll be the best day ever because I know you're miserable. And one of the guys in the, in the mud says, you know what, that's it, I quit. And he starts walking towards the edge. And one of the guys next to him grabs his arm and he starts singing. And then the guy next to him takes up the song. And before you know it, everybody in the mud is singing. And the guy who was walking towards the edge starts singing along, and he turns around, and he walks back to his spot, and he stands in the mud because he found strength in singing with his brothers in the mud. Our job as the church is to take care of each other for Christ, right? And we're supposed to look like this. We're supposed to look like the perfect wife who loves her husband as he loves her, right? Who looks at her husband and says, I want to make you happy. And this is like, I, I know it's abused. I know they're like, oh, well, you know, you have to live your life for me and you are now my servant. Nope. It's about a loving relationship. What is the church supposed to look like? We are supposed to depict to the world this relationship with Christ. We are the portrait of Christ. Like, like the depiction. And honestly, most people don't see that, right? I mean, when you think of church, do you think of harmony? <laughs> do you think of, you know, joy? Do you think of singing when we're miserable in the mud? I don't. I sometimes do, actually. There are days I do. Um, ultimately, the church is supposed to look good to the world as a solution to the stink that we're all sitting in. And we're all sitting in it all the time. Our day is not as bad as it has been. I know it's hard to believe. Like, the world is pretty nuts right now. And there's an awful lot of evil. At the time, they did not live in, like, a Christianized culture. And, like, like you know, you would have the option of, you know, am I going to go to the Temple of Aphrodite and visit the temple prostitutes because that's how they would worship? Or am I going to go to the animal sacrifice church? Or am I going to, I mean, like, like, pagan religion was horrible and nuts. And, like, it was a really common thing for, you know, like a, a, a married couple. You might divorce your wife. And, like, sell her off as a slave. Like, there are certain places you could do that. Or, like, where you would divorce her but not give her a certificate of divorce. And she could never remarry then. Like, if she really ticked you off, you don't give her a certificate of divorce. She can never remarry. And, like, that leaves her living with her parents or getting one of the only jobs you can get as a woman in the ancient world. And it was not a nice job, right? It was an old profession, though. Um, but Christians didn't live that way. They treated them different. This is a culture where it was illegal to keep a child who was born with birth defects. Like, it was against Roman law, like the entire world. If you had a child with a cleft palate, you took it out of town and you left it there and you came home and that was it. Well, better luck next time. You know, or, or a child with like a bad foot or, or whatever. Like any sort of birth defect, any sort of imperfection, you would kill the child. And the church was known in the first and second and third century for following people and rescuing children and raising them in secret. Like, like, it's adding something wonderful 
to the world, right? Our call, you know, husbands and wives, um, our call as the church is to be something better. Our call as married couples, and I think this is a part of it, right, is to be something better. Is to walk into the skunk smell of the fallen, nasty, filthy, evil world and to bring something better. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now watch this. There's another one. This is about Christ and the church. The church is married to Christ because Christ poured out his blood to cleanse us of our sins. And he bought us out of the slavery and the death that we lived in. And he made us his. That is the church. And so when you look around at the folks around you, you might look at the person next to you or the person across from you and say, that guy is wicked. That guy is doesn't know the Bible. That guy isn't as good a Christian as I am. That guy is this. That guy is that. Like, whatever. Our job is to lift each other up. Husbands, your job is to treat your wife as though she's going to stand before Jesus one day. You're to love her. You're to take care of her. You're to pour your life out for her. You're to teach her so she knows Christ and is like brought into holiness. Like your whole life needs to be lived for this because that's what Christ lived for. Even more so the church, our job is to grow in holiness. Our job is to be devoted to Christ at that kind of level. Like our job is to be devoted to each other at that kind of level, to raise each other up to be Christ-like. Like this is a huge thing. Think about it for a minute. Like what if, all of the spiritual maturity you've accumulated over the years, you were to bring that into the life of a younger man or a younger woman or a first through third grade Sunday school class or the teenagers at youth group every week. Like, what if God has gifted you with all of this stuff and you look and say, the church is supposed to stand before Christ spotless. Um, I got like three women I have done marriages for, weddings. I'm going to ask, wedding day, did you show up with your bedhead? Did you do your best to lose a few pounds before you got married? I'm not saying anything about that. I'm asking because like every woman in the culture does it before they get married, right? My goal is to fit into this dress on my wedding day, right? Because those pictures can be hanging up in the living room forever and I want people to see me thin. But also, but also because when I walk down the aisle, I want my husband to see me at my best, right? I'm going to do my nails. That's a thing women do, right? I'm going to get my hair done. I'm going to get up super, super early and do all of my makeup and my jewelry and my perfect dress, which I spent nine months hunting down, and I'll spend the next three years paying for so that I can look perfect for my husband on that day. This is what the, this is what the church is supposed to look like. But a lot of times the church is too busy knocking out each other's teeth. So then in the wedding picture, we got a couple of big gaps there, right? The church is too busy, you know, overindulging so that we have to get, like, the car cover wedding dress. That was really horrible, and I shouldn't have said that, and I knew it as soon as it came out of my mouth. I'm so sorry. 
But when we look at the church, when the culture looks at the picture of our relationship with Christ, our wedding picture, are we going to look good? Are we going to drag ourselves across the finish line? I'm going to have to break this into a third sermon. I can't believe that. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now watch this. As the church, Christ nourishes and cherishes us. How does he feed us? He fills us up spiritually, right? Like when we stand up and we sing 10,000 reasons. Honestly, I love that song, and I love how Nathan sings it, but my favorite version of it is the one that Kalen Hepner did. And... And I, I just got it recorded for my uh, ordination, and I, I still, like, it'll come on my headphones while I'm running, and I just, you know, I'll run and get kind of weepy. Because, like, I, I hear this song, and it just, man, I, I feel like God's presence in it, right? Um, Christ nourishes us spiritually. Christ prompts us to sing when we're knee-deep in the mud. Um, Christ like reminds us that we are not our past, but that he's bought us and cleansed us. Christ teaches us that we are adopted into his family as, as members of God's family, like a royal priesthood. Like, this is who we are, folks. Christ nourishes. Christ takes care of. By the way, a real quick reminder, husbands, that actually does mean you have to do that too. But this text is about the church, and it means as the church we feed each other. As the church, we take care of each other. As a church, we love each other when it doesn't even make sense to love them. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So what we find out here is Christ and the church, right, is foreshadowed by marriage. Marriage exists to show us what Christ in the church is like. That's kind of awesome, isn't it? Like, um, in the Old Testament, they would do sacrifices. Um, so you would have this special sacrifice you did on Passover, which you would sacrifice a lamb, and, and you would paint the blood on your door, and the blood being over you was a show that the angel of death should pass over you. It may be the case that that happened to point forward to Jesus, and the fact that we don't die if we're covered by the blood of Christ. Right, the blood of the Lamb of God. Um, you would sacrifice a lamb, like for the forgiveness of your sins. Like the lamb would take punishment for your sins. And lo and behold, Christ, the Lamb of God, is punished for our sins. His blood is poured out for us so that we can be forgiven. Because it was always pointing forward to Jesus. Everything was about Jesus, and our marriages are about Christ. And so we folks, our purposes of the church, our purpose in the church, our purpose as the church is to point to Christ, is to point to Christ and depict what his relationship with us is like for the world. So when people look at us, they see what Christ is supposed to be like, what his body is, what his relationship to his people is. And the question is, how are we doing? Right? And actually, I would argue that in your own marriages, some of us are married or hope to get married one day or we're married. Like, does it look like Christ in the church? Does it look like that ideal? Are we living for each other? I talk to a lot of husbands who will say things like, 
I would die for my wife. Won't take the trash out for her. Won't paint the garage until she's asked 95 times. But I would die for her. And the answer is, no, you wouldn't. Because <laughs> um, if you won't live for someone, you won't die for them, really. Right? Everything else is a lie. I won't die to myself for my wife, but I'll step in front of a speeding bullet because I know it's never going to happen. Um, however, this is the profound mystery, and I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. So he's saying, listen, all of this is about Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, and so Paul says all of this stuff, and he says, listen, all of this is about the church, but check it out. Like husbands and wives, respect your husband, love your wife. This is unique, by the way. In the entire ancient Greek world, there is no instance of a single household code except this one where the husband is told to love his wife. Not once. This is a completely unique thing to the church. Weird, isn't it? Because... Our marriages are supposed to be like that. We're not supposed to tolerate each other. We're not supposed to marry for money. We're not supposed to marry the hottest girl we meet and then forget about her because she doesn't look as hot later. Um, we're not supposed to like any of that stuff. We're supposed to love our wives. We're supposed to be like Christ in the church over and over and over again. To fail in this is to fail one of our basic callings as being kind of Christ's wedding pictures. It just is what it is. We depict Christ to the world. Are we the skunk smell? Or are we blood orange mist? Spritz. <laughs> when people eat dinner with you, do they see seething, low-level resentment? They see a relationship and a love that's gone cold. When people come and they spend time in our church, do they see folks who are annoyed with each other because you know, of one thing or another, or past sins we can't let go of, or whatever. Are they seeing Christ and his bride? Are they seeing his bride splendored, like beautiful? Or are they seeing her roll around in the mud before it's time to walk down the aisle? First John, I'm going to do two John passages and then we'll finish up. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us love with words, not, not love with words or with speech, but with actions and in truth. I can say I love you all day long. I can say I love my brothers and sisters in this church all day long. I need to live like it's true. Right? Are you? Are you depicting a love of action to the world? Last one, and then I'll finish up. A new commandment I give you. This is right after the washing of the feet, and like Judas goes off to betray Christ, and he says, A new command I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I'm going to read that again. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I don't think it's a coincidence that Paul talked about husbands and wives to talk about us being Christ's disciples, right? 
love each other as the church depict to the world what Christ is like through our interactions, through our treatment of each other, through our openness with each other. I mean, like, there are people in this room who have resentment towards other folks in this room, I think. I don't know. If we're an ordinary church, y'all are pretty good. I'm actually impressed by, like, well, anyway. But, like, if you have resentment against someone else, have you hidden it and, like, just poured gas on that fire once in a while and never said, hey, you know what, the way you talk to me sometimes hurts my feelings and I I really need to make it right? Or, hey, I gossip about you because I sometimes get frustrated with how you behave or whatever. Like, do we do that? Are we loving each other in this way? Are we forgiving each other in this way? Are we avoiding each other? Are we holding that misery deep down inside and continuing on as though it's not true? Love one another. Because to be like Christ is to love one another. It's to treat each other with respect. It's to be honest with each other. It's to not gossip about each other. It's to serve each other. It's to find ways to make other people's lives better. It's to teach our first to third graders how to follow Christ better and prepare them for the day that they're a part of the bride of Christ standing before him. It's to walk with our high, our high school and junior high youth group kids and to help them come to know Christ because one day they'll either be standing as a part of the bride or they'll be standing with the goats wishing they were. The fifth purpose of the church is to complete Christ's portrait. Are they good wedding pictures? Did Craig take them or did I? To close in prayer, my challenge for you this week is to walk out the door, see the stink in the world around you, and make it better. Walk up and down the streets of Big Sandy, wiping out that nasty skunk smell by loving your neighbor, by loving each other, by being Christ, by being bought, paid for by the blood of the King. And we'll do number six next week. Heavenly Father, I pray that I pray that I was faithful in this. I pray that folks heard today how to be how to be your body, how to how to glorify you by showing your picture, the picture of your love for them, the picture of of our relationship to you, Lord God. I pray that we as brothers and sisters would learn to live for each other, that our married couples would learn to live for each other, that that we would be that we would be the body of Christ depicting to the world what you look like. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. I told you, four minutes long. <laughs>